All right. So are you going to read that article? I'm not going to read it. We can talk about it. I mean, well, no fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> you asked if I was going to read the article. I'm like, I'm not fucking reading the article. Oh, yeah, we want to hear you read the whole thing. <laughs> podcast about bourbon and the ones who drink it. This is Bourbon Matters. Welcome to Bourbon Matters. I'm Jake. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> what was the wind up there? And I'm... Welcome to <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to cough Fully again. Fully charged up for this one. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Bourbon Matters. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. That was more professional mm-hmm. than the other numbskull. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, after that <laughs> incredible <laughs> intro, uh, we are talking about low-proof whiskeys today. Um, I think we're all probably drinking bourbon, though, so uh, low-proof bourbon. Is that correct? Is that- Okay, I just want to make sure that was factual before we start spilling nonsense like normal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I said what I was drinking, but good assumption. So yeah, we're all uh, bourbon to the Bourbon Matters podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all drinking things that are under a hundred proof. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, Dan found an interesting article that we want to talk about. Yeah. So not too long ago. Um, it was about a week old when I saw it. Uh, there was an announcement that the master distiller and COO of Peerless are going to be leaving to start up their own venture. And it's going to be more of a contract distilling for craft distilleries set up, uh, kind of like what Bardstown originally started off with and what MGP does a lot of versus making their own product. It doesn't, it's not saying that they won't make their own product. Um, but it sounds like they're going to be doing more of a, a contract distillation company. Um, Peerless, obviously a newer distillery in terms of been around for, or been around since they reopened for 10 or 15 years now. Um, that master distiller has been there since. He's been there since the start. Yeah. Since about 2015, 2016. Um, he was young when he started. Um, yeah, he was 22. So, Oh, well. interesting mm-hmm. to see that. I mean, I don't think people, people sometimes make a big change or make a big deal about distillers leaving and things when they've been around for when you've been doing the same thing for over a decade, your mainline products are always going to be the same. The change is going to be on your offshoots that you try out. Uh, but what are your guys' thoughts on either them leaving or peerless in general? I am a huge Peerless fan, and I i don't know. This is kind of like a shock wave of news because I know Peerless has a lot of really interesting, cool things coming down the pipeline, mm-hmm. um, which I don't even know if I'm supposed to know this, but like they have plans to come out with an eight-year, a 10-year. Um, they have some higher entry-proof stuff that they experimented with um, where barrels are sitting at the 130-proof range right now, right around the eight-year mark. Um, and a couple of different mash bills too, that they haven't even released yet. Um, so I don't know. And they they have really good reviews and ratings on all their whiskey, even though most of it's under six years old. So I think, uh, Peerless is a distillery to keep a very close eye on and something that has a lot of promise. 
for the future. So it's kind of shocking. I hope he's, uh, there wasn't too much to disclosed about the new distillery that he's starting up, but um, I yeah, definitely like sure hope he. $43 million. Yeah. Those right. Thing that they said. So. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, financial wise, they didn't really disclose anything else. And you're really betting on the craft whiskey continuing to boom um, mm. by making this move, because if you're not, you don't have any labels yet. You don't know, um, you know, we've seen it work with, uh, like Green River, Wilderness Trail, MGP and Bardstown Bourbon Company. But how many of those companies are going to come around? How many distilleries that are just producing for other companies can we have? Right. You know, that's going to hit a point where there's too many, too many contract distilleries and too many brands. Um, and I think the contract distilleries that don't have an established name, um, are going to be the ones who really suffer because they've invested all this money into creating many, many brand brands instead of mm -hmm. just one. But, and they were, they were talking about like 30,000 barrels a year or something like that. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was wow. more than that too, but it still didn't really seem like that high of a number. Yeah, and it's the thing that, like we've talked about, we don't think the bourbon bubble is coming down anytime soon or anything. Um, but it just seems like a fairly large risk because if you're doing contract distilling, you're spending a lot of money up front to build a pretty de decent sized setup. Um, a lot of the companies that have been bought out within the last year and even think of like the biggest example would be Wilderness Trail that started off as a distillery, not too much different from the size that we are at at Whiskey Acres. Um, and they've just constantly been under expansion um, where they're starting off with something very, very large. Um, they're going to need to be able to help do a lot of volume and have a lot of barrels. 90,000 barrels annually is what okay. they're projected to do. Um, it just seems like a lot of startup cost on that. Yeah. And I mean, with that model, they are probably, re, you know, if your contract is stilling through somebody else, most of the time you're paying for that barrel when it's distilled. Um, so, I mean, they are going to recoup some of that investment early on and, and mm -hmm. instead of if they had their own distillery and had to wait for the bourbon to mature. Um, but still, like, I think it's a, it's a big risk to, jump on something that doesn't have a name. And again, we don't know all the facts. We don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. Like there could be a whole master plan and everything could be sunshine and rainbows mm -hmm. a couple of years from now. Mm -hmm. But from what we know and from what we see and like what we see in the future of Peerless, I think it's a very surprising move, um, especially because of how small Peerless is and how hands-on all the employees are. They don't have a ton of employees. It's a pretty small distillery um, looking compared to the other big Kentucky distilleries. So um, I don't know. I would think that he was sitting, he was sitting well with Peerless and definitely had a ton of room for more growth and expansion. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's something that we don't see or know. Yeah, I my my first thought when I saw the article was I was kind of mad it was the COO and not the CEO because I was hoping that the uh, the money guy leaving might make the price go down on Peerless because that's one of my biggest gripes with Peerless. <laughs> um, I, I've never I, I'm not a a apostle or anything for uh, for Peerless. I, I I think it's good whiskey. It's when I've done it in a few different blinds, it's always been middle of the pack for me. Um, 
And I've always felt worse about that because of the price point. I've always thought their whiskey is good. I always thought it was a little more expensive than what it what it should be. Um, but you know, you pay for a pretty bottle of part of it too, because those bottles that they're getting probably aren't cheap to get made. Yeah, I I've always thought the rye was much better than the bourbon. Um, and I I have had ryes that are from them that are worth the price point, in my opinion. Um, like that last rye pick. Uh, from Gold Eagle and uh, Adventures Club, the uh, Sweet Mesquite rye was like unbelievable. It was so yeah, it good. tied one of the Fourgate ryes. But the thing with Peerless is, I like them a lot for how unique and good their single barrels can be. Um, their small batch bourbon couldn't care for the small batch rye. It's very mediocre. But when you get a really good single barrel, um, and they t- they can taste and i just think that's indication of where the distilleries barrels get even older um and they start to have some age especially with those different entry proof experiments that they're doing and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah it's they're definitely a uh very quickly growing distillery um i guess the other thought i had too was it's not in this day and age, it's not uncommon for distillers to switch ships, especially if there's going to be someone bigger, uh, better opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the weirder part is one of the main business people is also branching off of the venture too. So um, don't know if that means the opportunity is that great for both of them. If there was some, um, I mean, as businesses grow, sometimes uh, people cannot enjoy um, working at the, the company they're with as much anymore. So who knows what the reason is that both of them are going, but pretty big news that two top people within the distillery are heading out to the try a start. A so venture. it did say that both of them are going to stay at peerless yeah. through yep. at least some portion of the startup, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, that's usually not the kind of way that plays out. So <laughs> it's yeah, an interesting circumstance. It'll be interesting, and then it'll be interesting to see who fills in uh, at Peerless as the new master distiller, which I'm sure won't we won't have that information for a while yet. Uh, yeah, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shall see. It'll be interesting. Um, but no, it was just kind of a one of those things that caught my eye today when I saw the news story. It looked at it, it was a few days old already, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah. But now we are drinking something that we don't normally drink, and that is stuff below one hundred proof. Um. Yeah, so what what prompted you to suggest this, Dan? I don't know. Just <laughs> like the, the funny content. thing is I I, I, sug- <laughs> I suggested this in a text message and then I got home and I looked through my collection and I have four or five bottles that are basically below 90 proof. <laughs> um and I know a lot of our collections are the same way. All three of us are 
more barrel proof guys, I'm usually 110 or higher on almost everything. Um, why do you guys prefer the higher proofs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I similar thoughts for me. Um, I think the proofing process typically um, removes flavor or at least like tampers it down uh, quite a bit, especially if you're going from in the 120 proof range, you know, that most barrels end up at down to like 90 or even 80. Um, you lose a lot. I think in that translation, um, if you, don't proof it down with specific methods like the uh, brandy proofing um, mm -hmm. that we talked about with like Fox Noden. And I think there's a couple other distilleries that do that. Um, yeah. And it, it it's definitely noticeable um, when, when it's done that way versus the, the traditional just dump some water in and cut it, you know, <laughs> I thought Just about it. The limit for the episode. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of them that I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I had a couple I looked at and I'm like, crap, no, they're all 100. So <laughs> um, cut down my thing. I. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I graduated from college, it was either when I graduated from college or when I turned 21. I think it was when I turned 21. Uh, my best friend's dad got me a bottle of Four Roses single barrel. I remember being like really excited to try it and I tried it and I was like, oh my God, how does anyone drink this? 
because <laughs> it's <laughs> it was probably up around like 120 or between like 115 and 120 or something i was like oh this is like t- terrible i don't know why anyone would ever buy this <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i think it kind of falls along the same line of people that start getting into spicy foods mm-hmm. and you keep getting spicier and spicier and spicier until you find your limit. Um, and it's the same thing here. Now, now obviously there is a limit on how hot you can have bourbon. I mean, you can't ever have a Carolina Reaper bourbon because as soon as it crosses a certain proof, it's no longer whiskey, it's vodka. Um, <laughs> so there is a God, Horrible vodka. Horrible, horrible vodka. Barrel-aged um, vodka? Yeah, barrel-aged <laughs> vodka. It's, uh, I, 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 I've gone slowly up. I think the 110, 120, I have a lot of my stuff's barrel-proof. I don't mind over 120. I think in terms of I'm just going to sit down and have a pour, normally the 110 to 120 is where I like to be. Um, But the last couple days and kind of, I guess, a couple days last week, I had a couple just normal Buffalo Trace pours and some other things that were below a hundred. Um, and it's fun to get a different flavor profile out of it. Um, as you add water, more things come out because you have less, less of the ethanol overpowering some of the things. And even though mm-hmm. we normally drink high proof, you can still get, get the ethanol in there. You can still, still taste the proof. Um, as you lower it down, you get some of the more natural flavors of, of the barrel, uh, of the distillate out of it. Um, so it's kind of fun to, to taste those differences. I'm not sure. Um, I don't eat again, Hollywood magic, either before or after this episode, we're going to be doing a unique uh, experiment where we try the same whiskey at different proof points and see which one we like best. And they will be blind proof points. So that'll be, fun if if we haven't done it wait for next week if we already had that episode come out then go back and check out the previous one um but it, i guess that was kind of one of the reasons why i decided to do this too because uh it'll be fun to see how whiskey changes with with within some some of them are going to be i think small proof point jumps some of them are going to be bigger proof point jumps um but just by adding a little bit of water it changes it and we see that at the uh at the tastings at gold eagle all the time when uh, it's usually more on the scotch side of things where they tell you to put a drop of water on it. A lot of the whiskey ones, they tell you not to, or they don't tell you to, you guys always have the water out and the dropper out. Um, but just adding a drop of water in a Glen Karen can really change the flavor profile too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's something different. It's not that I don't enjoy, like, I don't think eight, 80 proofs pretty low. If it's, if it's around 90 or higher, I don't think it tastes it's not like I have a hatred towards it because it's a lower proof. Um, like I said, I just think I prefer it a little bit hotter. So, yeah, I mean, it, it heavily depends on the overall, uh, like I, I can't think of a better word than like how robust the flavor is. Um, cause like there are definitely some low proof whiskeys that are cut, you know, the traditional way with, with water, like right, right after, uh, the barrels are emptied and they have great flavor content. Um, however, (laughs) there's also a lot where that just completely destroys the flavor profile. Um, so I, I think it is 
heavily dependent on um, what your like starting product is. Um, Cause if it can really withstand that, the the cutting with the water, then it definitely, you know, it's uh it's worth drinking at a lower proof point, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, what are you guys sipping on tonight? All right. Well, uh, I'm decided to be the fancy fuck tonight. <laughs> so I'm drinking the, uh, 2022, uh, what do they call it? The master's collection from Woodford, um, which is historic barrel entry, uh, was the experiment for this, uh, master's collection. So what that means is instead of barreling at, 120 something proof uh they proof it down before it gets into the barrel uh down to 100 proof and then uh put the whiskey in the barrel um the thought experiment behind this is that as the whiskey ages and the water evaporates you'll end up with something uh after you know the four or five years or however long uh they don't say how long it aged for um, but you'll end up with a lower proof, but full bodied whiskey, uh, when you go to dump the barrel and bottle. Um, so after aging, they proof this down to 90.4, which is the typical Woodford proof. Um, and I have to say that it is like regular Woodford reserve on steroids, um, like all of the flavors are amped up. Um, it's not quite the double Oak, um, but it's, it's like what I would imagine a barrel proof Woodford tasting like without all the ethanol though. I, I, I do have to say though, that there is a bit more ethanol in this than I would expect at 90 pr proof or just, barely above 90 proof. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, worth the hunt, <laughs> but it's interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. I've said that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, I would like to see more distilleries try this just to see what comes out because it's a cool concept. And I think we'd have to double check with someone who actually knows how to distill like Dan. But I think theoretically it checks out. Yeah, I mean, it's. Go ahead, Jude. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, the science that they're using is basically you're adding 
more of that water into it and then into the barrel. So you're getting some of the water that you would normally add after to get some of that flavor in. It's intermingling um, with the whiskey already. Because even when we add, when we, when we cut down before bottling, it sits in a tank for quite a while with the water just to get it all to mix well and, and mm-hmm. get, get through there, uh, get some of the flavors to just kind of meld. So you have one homogenous product instead of watery whiskey. Right. Um, so that's, that's the reason they do behind it. The, the thing we always, the, I think we said it before too, when we talked about this, when it came out was, I mean, the, the downside for a distillery is you have to buy a lot more barrels to, to yeah. age it, uh, cause you're not putting nearly as many proof gallons per barrel. So costs go up, uh, mm-hmm. because of that, cause obviously barrels are not cheap and they're one use. So, um, that's the, that's the other side of the coin. So, uh, I think. I have no, I haven't tried that one yet. I know you've given me a sample of it. I haven't opened it up yet um, to see the difference. And I think I just finished off my last Woodford bottle, so I can't do a side-by-side comparison, but no, it's, it's, there's definitely a reason for that. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it is interesting because we just talked about the, the brandy proofing process, um, which I think the, the way you're supposed to do it is to, add water while it's still in the barrel. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, this is kind of doing that, but on the front end <laughs> and, uh, obviously because of the aging, some of that water is going to evaporate. Um, but I think they're trying to hedge it so that you're not losing so much to evaporation that you're negating the benefit of having the initial proof down whiskey. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and I guess we should talk because I, I never realized a lot of people don't know this is when you go to Kentucky and things, and everyone talks about the importance of the water and the limestone filtration and everything. That's all when you're cooking the mash. Once you cook the mash, when you're proofing down, you're not proofing down with that limestone water or anything. At that point, you are using water that's reverse osmosis, distilled, whatever. City water. Want. You don't want any of that. You want just straight, pure H2O uh, for the proof down. At that point, you don't want to add any other outside flavors, any other outside minerals to it. So at that point, you're just going with as clean and pristine H2O as you can at the proof down point. Mm-hmm. So I will go next. I have kind of a tater bottle. Uh, not going to lie. Again, I was pretty low on options for this. I have the Buffalo Trace kosher wheat recipe. Um, this does come in at 94 proof. Um, I've always, I enjoyed this bottle. Um, I don't think it's worth the 80 or 90 bucks that they charge for it. I'll say that right up front. Um, I think it is 
it has a little, <laughs> little bit different flavor profile than Buffalo Trace. Uh, just before we started recording, I, I still can't get it out of my nose. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm getting Grape Big League Chew on the nose very strong. Um, and it's <laughs> I don't I, I don't ever remember when I've had this. I've obviously drank some of the bottle already before tonight. I didn't drink this much already. Like that's that's not me right now. That's, oh, okay. This has been, yeah. Oh, I can lie sometimes. Um, maybe maybe I did drink that. That's why I'm tasting big league or smelling big league chew. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit on the palate, but otherwise it's more of the the vanilla. Um, some of the oak notes of the barrel on the palate. Um, with all these, we're used to higher proof, so the finish is very quick on these. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a very complex finish. Once it's down the hatch, it's it's what people call smooth. It's not gonna sit there and linger very long in the mm-hmm. in the in the on the tongue or in the back of the back of the mouth. Um, very easy drinking. I think it's a good whiskey. Uh, I don't. In terms for me, I don't think it's worth the $80, $90 retail price tag that comes with it. I don't think it's one that, that you should have to go out and hunt for if you're a big fan of the Buffalo Trace. This is the weeded mash bill. So um, whenever you see Buffalo or Buffalo Trace weeded, you think Weller or Pappy. This is definitely way closer to a special reserve. Um, but it doesn't have any of that, that. It doesn't have nearly much of that sweet spice that Weller has. Um, mm-hmm. this is more of the vanilla, um, but it, no, yeah, yeah, it's got a little bit of spice on it. Um, viscosity wise, it is a little bit oilier, um. But it's 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 good. I think it's I think it's a good easy drinking whiskey. Um, I'm glad I have the bottle. Um, I don't think I'd spend the money on another bottle per se, especially when um, it's not that much different than Buffalo Trace, <laughs> normal Buffalo Trace, mm-hmm. uh, as you can still get for twenty five thirty bucks. Um, but if you're a big Buffalo Trace fan, if you're a big Buffalo Trace weeded fan, it's not that it's not a good whiskey at all. I just think a little higher price, but. I don't know how much they have to spend to be able to call it kosher. Um, I did know that it, I do know that it went through the Chicago Rabbinical Society, so it's kind of something in Chicago area been been blessed by her. Rabbis don't do the sign of the cross. I I don't know religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it what was it? It said something that. Yeah, so you're allowed to use this with Passover. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, no, it's it's good. It's nice that people are making whiskeys that you can enjoy year round, no matter uh, what some of your beliefs are. So that's nice that they're making it very inclusive for everybody. Um, so for me, I'm not Jewish. So next time I see a bottle, I'm not going to buy one and deprive someone that might need it their chance to have it and drink it. That'll be my little soapbox moment <laughs> but <laughs> so i, I will no. say the the one cool thing about that line is they actually label 
I mean, they don't tell you which mash bills they are, but they kind of tell you which mash bills they are <laughs> because it's the rye, high rye, uh, wheat, and then uh, is there a regular bourbon? I don't Maybe think it's so. just those three. Yeah, they have the. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, they give you the there's uh. Because there's the st- the straight rye, the high rye, and then the weeded bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you get to tra- try a few different mash bills from Buffalo Trace, uh, knowing exactly which one it is and what the contents are. So yeah. you might be able to do some uh, like alignment with <laughs> some other products and, and figure out which ones are which, but... I mean, it's 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 hard to say anything too terrible about the weeded mash bill out of Buffalo Trace. It's not that I don't like it. I just I like to focus more on is it worth the the money that I'm having to pay for it? Mm-hmm. No, um, but it's nothing against the whiskey. That's just a dollars and cents standpoint. So yeah, but that, still very been, good uh... and. If you like big league chew, like I, I have no idea where that's coming from so strong, but it's there. And this is like the, the second year that I've seen it come out in a, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's too difficult to get your hands on either, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I saw it when it came out, I saw it at a bunch of different stores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah. No one's going to listen to us on that. Don't trust Dan. If you you see him wearing a yarmulke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. (laughs) <laughs> i just I, the problem is i just can't go sober so we just need to have a constant drip of something going down so. <laughs> but that that was my drink for tonight jake are you Were you were you thinking I was gonna do the gold eagle barrel pick and do a do a, like a twenty minute plug for you? <laughs> <laughs> they're the they're no offense. They're the dumbest listeners, by the way. If you're listening to me, they're you're they're the dumbest ones out there. Oh, yeah.
Mm -hmm. Cool looking bottle too. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I will say that one is one of the nice things with Green River. Um is with as many new whiskeys as you've seen on the market over the last few years. Not many come to the table with their initial offering down in the below $40 range. Yeah. Uh, and not only does it below $40, it's very good below $40. There's not mm -hmm. a lot in that price range that competes with it. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's the normal proof on you said ninety four on those? Ninety okay. Nice. Which yeah, I think is that's the lowest proof out of, out of all three tonight, right? By Jake, by Jake, point four. <laughs> Jake went cheap and Jake went low proof. So he always takes the it's I, I like having uh a gold eagle Jake on here because he is the most uh, basic when it comes to these. It, unlike <laughs> other Jake, who when we did our March Dramness bracket challenge entered what Elmer and Blanton's in it. No, Elijah like, eighteen and Elmer. <laughs> oh, Elijah eighteen. I almost, I almost did Elijah eighteen because it was one of the few <laughs> bottles I had that was below a hundred proof. Well, that was, wow. I was going to do Fox and Odin and I was like, oh, we just, we did that recently, uh, which go check that out if you haven't. Um, and then I was like, well, what else do I have? And I was like, oh, I have Elijah 18. Um, I have the Woodford Masters Collection or I have a uh, Mictor's Rye 10 years. <laughs> like, uh, uh, well, I haven't had the Woodford in a bit, so. That's, <laughs> yeah. no, uh, I don't know. It's it's fun doing these. Cause when I drank this, like I didn't necessarily miss the proof that I'm used to on it. Um, finding good whiskey yeah. is a low proof, no matter what the, if you find a good whiskey, no matter what the proof is, it's always going to be fun to drink. Mm -hmm. um, it's. I was yeah, going to say, you'll, I thought... you'll definitely blow your palate out if you go from high to low. And it's, you won't get the right experience.
I thought you were going to say the downside of drinking low proof whiskey is you have to get more to get drunk, but <laughs> that's just words coming from an alcoholic. But I do no, also. It, I I think if you're going to pair with a cigar, sometimes a lower proof whiskey is a good option. Um, is even high, like high proof whiskeys can sometimes blow out your palate for the cigar too. Yeah, which I think is why a lot of people prefer scotches because they're usually right around. 80 to 90 proof. Um, so you're not, you know, competing with the cigar. I do use low proof and I got, uh, for Christmas the other year, my, uh, old neighbors gave me, um, a thing for your cigars where you, there's a little ball that below the, that you, they hang, the cigars hang in a, in a glass tube. And there's a little ball bet down at the bottom that you put whiskey in. And that you works your humidor and it infuses whiskey into the cigar as well too, and uh, works really well. Um, but I, I think I used a ninety proof whiskey. I think I used a scotch actually, a ninety proof scotch in there. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't want to have to worry about lighting a cigar up and having to just go poof right in my face by throwing the Gold Eagle watershed that's one hundred forty one proof in there. <laughs> But yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me to smoke those with you. That was that was a great time. I have new ones in there, you <laughs> jerk. Jesus. He thinks I'm he's the only friend I have sometimes. And it's just like <laughs> it's an easy misconception to have, let me tell you. <laughs> the funny thing is he thinks we're friends. I like I don't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> well (laughs) so well guys this was fun just having a nice chill night with some lower proof stuff Uh, I did see that we did get a comment that we need to have Drew on the podcast funny enough it came Mm -hmm. from somebody that has never met Drew been to (laughs) Libertyville or Gold Eagle Mm -hmm. Um, so so I don't know if he knows what he's getting himself into but uh, we'll have to get Drew lined up <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, Drew's got to be want to be on. Like, all he has to do is be listen to it and just say, "Hey, yeah, throw me on." But he does have one fan out there who has no idea who he is. So hopefully, that makes him feel good about himself. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Uh, <clears throat> anywho, we'll have to get that signed up on the show. But oh, uh, and I, yeah, I do want to shout out friend of the show, Nikhil, uh, that we met at a Gold Eagle Master Class. Um, he was convinced by Dan to buy a bottle of the 1776 barrel proof and he does not regret it. So sometimes Dan has good ideas. I think is a takeaway from that. Sometimes. <laughs> and I think with, with people that I've known, I've moved like six or seven bottles of pepper barrel proof very quickly. I think Pepper's going to owe me some cuts on that. I think, I think it's about uh-huh. seven or eight cents. that should be sent my way from, from pepper distilling. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. The the guy that keeps hounding them of when they're releasing their barrel proof. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, well, Jake, what's coming up at Gold Eagle? Um, I know you guys got a bunch of tastings and stuff lined up. Um, like always, I, you guys had you guys did a sake one with sushi the other the other week. Mm-hmm.
Any rumors now, you can start it? on those right now? <laughs> rumors you can start right now? <laughs> was the sake, was it all hot or cold or was it mixed or? Okay. Uh. Hmm. Like when you put Jack Daniels in your freezer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice. Cool. I will say when you say sake, I I hesitate to get back into it because the last time I think I drank it was uh, back a long time ago when a bunch of us all lived at the same apartment complex. My one friend created a game that was very similar to Charlie McDennis from always sunny in Philadelphia. <clears throat> and the first rule of the game is everyone playing had to finish a bottle. We had to share it. You didn't have to drink your own, but a bottle of hard alcohol had to be finished before the game could start. Um, and there was four of us and we finished a bottle of sake in a very short amount of time to be able to play a drinking game. It, it did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> It, it did not go well. We, we, me and my teammate won. Um, I, I, if you were there, <laughs> you would have understand that nothing went well. Like by the time the game was over, no, it, it was like Charlie McDennis on steroids. Like I think that when they had the IVs hooked up to him for Charlie McDennis too, that I probably would have drank less if there was an IV of alcohol hooked up to my blood. <laughs> um, but that's the last time I think I had sake and uh, it had just had some bad connotations with it. So I think the I last time I had it was at Sukasa. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, all right. So if people want to find us, Jake, where can they find the podcast? You can find us on YouTube and Spotify with video, uh, or you can listen to us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can find us at uh, www.bourbonmatterspodcast.com. Email us at bourbonmatters at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at bourbonmatters or find us on Facebook. Just search for Bourbon Matters. Nice. That was a nice, right, succinct plug yeah. by me. I'm going to yeah, save that one and done just on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. It only took uh, nice. what, 67 episodes to nail it. So <laughs> we're at 67. I think so. Well, it depends on when this one comes out. We big ones coming up here in a couple then. Yeah. The 69, the 69th episode just has to be nice. <laughs> Dan's got to think right, about what he really wants to drink on that episode. 
<laughs> I'm leaning absent. <laughs> I'll make a Sazerac. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, cheers. Cheers, guys.